Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Michael Nichols, and I'm happy to be here this morning as uh, a missionary representing your church in Tanzania, in case you didn't know that. Um, I'm here with my family, uh, with my wife, Kelly, and our three kids, Luke, Malia, and Elliot. Um, and if you were here for first service, um, you got to experience my six-year-old Malia up on stage. She was up with me for the whole message, just chatting with me and um, giving suggestions. So you're, you're really missing out on that. But um, at the end of the service, we decided to do a song because um, she likes to sing. And so we'll have to call her out of the... She's in the children's group now, so we'll have to call her out to get her to do that again, I think. Um, but she was fun. And I just heard um, Pastor Gunnar say that Jesus said we need to be like children. Um, so I was thinking of just sitting on the table up here and picking my nose for a while. Um, but since he, he was happy to have Gideon up here, I figured it's okay to have Malia up here with me as well. So you don't mind that in this church? That's okay. Um, anyway, uh, I grew up in Australia. Um, I came out to San Diego in 1999 to work with Shadow Mountain Community Church. And um, I took a few classes at seminary with, with Gunnar. Um, and I also worked as an intern in the youth ministry at Shadow Mountain for seven years and worked for a number of years with uh, Chris Guess. I think you're familiar with him. He's one of the missionaries in Romania. And so we're really good friends with Chris and Mihaila and their kids. Um, and we are now uh, working with Wycliffe Bible Translators in Tanzania, in East Africa. Um, so I'll show you on, um, I've got a little video that will show you where um, if they can bring that up, where, where Tanzania is. Um, it's in, uh, we're living on Lake Victoria, um, which is a huge uh, freshwater lake in Tanzania. That's Australia, by the way. So. Uh, okay, so there's Africa. Notice how green it kind of is there in the middle? It's quite a green area. Uh, and this lake is Lake Victoria, which I think is about the size of one of the Dakotas. I can't remember, south, north. Uh, this is Tanzania, and up here is Kenya, and the capital, Dar es Salaam. Well, I think the capital is Dodoma, but Dar es Salaam is the, the big city. And right up here on Lake Victoria is a town of about 120,000 people uh, called Musoma, and that's where we live. There's the main part of town here and a, a dirt runway in the middle. And now we're zooming in to this peninsula is uh, our house. We live in that yellow dot. Um, and this is our front yard. We play soccer and frisbee in there every weekend with friends. It's kind of the layout of, of the surrounding area. And that's a photo that I took from that spot. But the, the other thing was Google Earth, and this is a, a picture that I took from this spot. So you can see the runway that goes goes through there. It's, it's dirt, and it doesn't get used very much. It's in disrepair. Uh, this is the main part of town over that way, the markets and the busy main street that goes in and out of town. So that's where we live. Um, there's mountains around. It's very green. People are often surprised that we live in Africa, and it's green. Um, but most of Africa below uh, the Sahara Desert, the Sahara Line, is, is actually quite, quite lush. Um, and we love it out there. So this morning, I just want to show you some of the, the photos of um, our life in Tanzania <clears throat> and our experiences. Uh, talk a bit about those and uh, just share with you some of those things. And 
Um, and then I guess we'll sing a song at the end. Um, uh, if you go to the next one, uh, this is inside our house in, in Musoma. It's a, a brick house, uh, cement floors. Um, the, you know, the wiring and everything is all on the outside of the walls. And we have electricity uh, when it's working. Sometimes a few times a week it goes out, sometimes for a day or two at a time. And when that goes out, the water stops working because they can't pump the water. Or if the water company doesn't pay their bill, which happens, the electric company cuts them off and we don't get water. Um, but anyway, we have like a spare water tank and a generator. And um, I have a picture of that spare water tank, uh, which nearly got me killed last year. Um, took this from our backyard. That's our back fence along there and a property, a property behind us. Uh, looking out onto Lake Victoria, and the next picture shows if you walk down <clears throat> to the beach. The next one. Um, that's kind of the spread of where we live on Lake Victoria. It's actually huge. I think uh, Lake the uh, Lake of Galilee was about, I think it's about 11 or 12 miles across or something like this. But this is like just massive. I mean. Just little inlets where we live are 10 miles across. Um, so you can kind of imagine what it's like. We get waves and uh, there's a big fishing industry out there. You can go to the next one. <clears throat> so this is what the countryside looks like. Uh, this is the rural part of Tanzania. Uh, you can see some people here. Um, and these are cows and goats. And these people would just be farming with cows and goats. Uh, this is a, a house, <clears throat> and in Tanzania, most people don't spend much time in their houses. They just uh, sleep in there or shelter from the rain. They, they do most of their living outside in the community, um, in this context, outside with the, with the animals, or in the, even in the cities and towns, outside on the streets with friends and family, and everyone's mixing together. And um, They only just go back in the house when it's time to sleep. So I took this photo from on top of a mountain, and then I panned over this way and took this photo, uh, and that's a town kind of on the, down the other side. Uh, you can see the main street going out up through the mountains to uh, where we live in a different town. But you can kind of see the spread. All these along the road, there'll be little shops selling cell phones and um, little things like that. If you could see really closely, you'd see little dots all over the road, and those are people because the roads are full of people. Uh, most people don't drive. They would walk or ride bicycles. Um, so there's just people all the time. There's chickens running around and goats crossing the road. And yeah, um, Next one. Back in our front yard, uh, we're playing some Frisbee. And uh, sometimes we play Frisbee, sometimes soccer. And uh, these are some other missionaries that we work with in our town. The next, and sometimes we meet up with them to do birthday parties and, and kids' events and things like that because uh, in our town, hardly anyone speaks English. They all speak Swahili, um, which is... Uh, so we have, we have no English-speaking church, um, and sometimes it's nice to get together and do birthday parties and a, and a little church service together in English. Next one. That was for Luke's seventh birthday, by the way. People ask us how we do school in Tanzania for the kids. A few families, three or four families, do like a, a homeschool co-op. So they meet together in someone's home. Um, 
It's the house of a lady that's come out from the U.S. to do teaching, along with another lady. Um, they organize the classes and, and do kind of a little homeschool group together, which has been good. And this was a graduation party for Luke last December, I think. This is one of the elementary schools in town. It's actually kind of across the street from us. Um, and Luke and Malia both went went there for a few months, but it was it was pretty difficult for them because because of the language barrier. It was supposed to be an English-speaking school, but um, Luke uh, didn't actually know that they were speaking English um, while he was there because of their accent, and uh, the kids didn't really speak English either. So anyway, the next slide shows the picture of Luke in his his uniform in his class. Um, he's, he's sitting down the back, not listening. Yeah. Uh, next slide. Okay, so this is Elliot, our youngest, uh, and he's, he's with Mama Sophia and Richard. They're two of our employees. And one of the differences of living in Tanzania is that we have employees. Um, and it's very different from employment in the U.S. because we see employment as, you know, nine to five, then you go home, <clears throat> and that's kind of it. Uh, you don't think about your boss outside of work too much, if possible, but over there, it's a little bit more like um, fostering, like being a foster parent, uh, because they work for very little money, but um, they expect you to take care of all their needs. Uh, if their kids get sick, if they get kicked out of their house because they haven't paid rent, um, if they have an accident, uh, if they have family coming to town and they need to feed them, they come to me. And they come to me at any time of day, pretty much, um, we have a night guard that sits outside at night. Uh, not that it's really dangerous there, but it's just a good safety practice. And, you know, he'll come to me late at night and uh, talk to me about issues going on. And it's expected that I fix their problem. So that's, that's really different. And when people say, what's it like living over there? Uh, the biggest difference for me is uh, not knowing quite uh, how you fit into society in what what level of um, of hierarchy in society? Because when we're here, uh, we're we're sort of the poor missionaries that um, you know people you know give us clothes and take us out for lunches. We try to go out to lunch with someone and we can never pay because like, no no, no it's, we'll get it and um, you know they help us out with things and that's great we like that. But then we go to Tanzania and we're constantly expected to give things and pay for things and and. We're the rich white people because we have a car and we can eat every day. Um, we've never had to miss a meal because of finances. And over there, that's considered wealthy. So you're never quite sure, am I a poor missionary or am I a, a wealthy white guy? Um, and it's a bit of a struggle to, to figure out who you really are. Um, and and we're, we're living with people that... that you know, you, you kind of go over there as a missionary and you think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sacrificing all this stuff and I'm living, you know, in this not, not very nice house and that kind of thing. But people don't treat you like that. They treat you like you're one of the wealthiest people because you're living in such a nice place and you drive a car and you're just a selfish, rich guy that, um, that isn't willing to help every single person who needs help. And you've got to learn how to deal with that because it's a, it's a daily thing. People constantly asking you for for help and for money. And, and Jesus said, give to everyone who asks of you. 
So what do you do with that? Um, well, we know better. We, we know better than Jesus. So uh, we come up with our structures to avoid it. But in the end, he said that. So we, we try to follow it. But anyway, we, we, we do love having our employees. They're like family to us. And, um, and Elliot loves spending time with them. And um, I think when we go back, he'll be soon starting a bit of school. But yeah, he spends a lot of time at home at the moment. All right, next one. Uh, lots of different animals and things over there. This is a chameleon. Uh, we get lots of little hedgehogs over there. We get some big tortoises that, that walk through our yard. Uh, some strange night creatures that no one knows what they are, but like, like cats kind of thing. Uh, probably like ferrets. And we have a, there's a local hippo that, that wanders around, not, not near our property, but you know, five minutes away near a friend's property. Um, there are probably some alligators in the, in the lake somewhere, but we've never seen any. I see um, kids' grandma's not looking very happy right now. <laughs> probably shouldn't have told her that. We've, we've never seen them near us. Uh, the next one, we do see these things, um, you know, every six months or so, and uh, we've always been able to get them in time. Um, this is a, a six-foot-long forest cobra, uh, that I killed outside, and they're about that fat. Um, the next one is another another little cobra uh, that had just eaten something. This is probably a lizard. Uh, it's not alive now because I think our our gardener had killed it. Um, and the next one, probably a harmless green tree snake, but you can never be too sure with snakes. <laughs> Best to get them. Best to get them anyway. Yeah, I think that's it for the snakes. The next one, we, we've had some snakes in our in our house, but um, fortunately, we've always been prepared for them for some reason. Um, I'll I'll get into that later. Uh, so these two ladies are Indian ladies. They're of Indian descent, but they're born in Tanzania and they've grown up there. And there's a big Indian population in Tanzania that um, that started hundreds of years ago because of the slave trade. Uh, they were the, there's the, the Indians and the Arabs um, came to, to get slaves, but then some of them settled and started businesses. And now, it's, now obviously, there's no slavery in Tanzania, uh, that, no overt slavery, but um, the, the population, there's, there's pockets of people from different parts of the world and... Uh, and so there's an Indian population in our town, and no one's actually really ministering to, say, the Indians in Africa or the Arabs in Africa. Um, everyone goes to Africa to, to do ministry to the Africans and goes to India to do ministry to the Indians. But um, these people are Hindu, and they live in town. And uh, this lady on the right, she, uh, she became a widow shortly after she got married. And she was kind of just stranded in Tanzania, and uh, she had a really bad problem with her eyes. Um, and so someone suggested that she go to a Christian church because they might be able to help her. So she went to a Christian church, and there somehow she was healed. Um, so she said, "Well, I'm following this Jesus," and she's been following Jesus ever since, but still living in her Hindu home with her Hindu family and all these gods plastered over the wall but she just knows that Jesus is the way. 
She doesn't know much more than that. And so um, she was praying and she said to God, I've never been able to have children. Like, bring, I, I want children. I want a child. And shortly after that, uh, she and Kelly crossed, my wife Kelly crossed paths. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, and she now considers Kelly her child. And Kelly goes to visit her every week. And um, through some other contacts, we've been able to get her a Bible in her language, which is Gujarati um, from India. And she can she can read that now, and so that's that's been a real blessing to her and to us as well to build that relationship. That's her sister-in-law who is Hindu as well. Um, yeah. Anyway, the next next slide. Some of the things that we do in Tanzania is uh, cutting hair. There's um, I had to learn how to do plumbing and electrical work and like things like that that I was never very good at and I'm still not very good at. But I can connect things now. Um, the next one, <laughs> cooking. <laughs> one of those things you have to have to do in Africa is actual cooking and not just microwaving a packet that you got at Costco. Um, so anyway, this is our this is our kitchen. Uh, we have a fridge there. We have a, a small hot water heater for doing dishes, and you can see the cement floor, um, electric kettle over there for boiling water. And we have a, a water filter as well. We drink from a water filter. Um, next, and a washing machine that's really helpful. Go to the next one. Because if you don't have a washing machine, then you spend hours outside washing everything by hand. And, and most Tanzanians are really good at just bending straight down and reaching down into a bucket and washing like that. Um, but we don't bend like that. So anyway, next one. Um, so this picture is really cool because it represents uh, a sort of a, a, a dream that Kelly had since she was really little. Uh, she knew since she was a little girl that she wanted to go to Africa and be a Bible translator. Um, and then it happened eventually. And this, this day was the day that uh, we went out to the Jita language community and we were celebrating the publication of the book of Luke in Jita, which was the first um, publication of scripture in their language. And so Kelly was handing out books, uh, selling books to people. And in Tanzania, uh, everyone, most people speak a certain language in their home. It's their home language. Um, but when they go to school, they have to start speaking Swahili. So Swahili is really a second language for almost everyone in Tanzania. And kids go to school and they have to learn to read and write and do everything in Swahili. And it's not much fun because it's not their heart language. Um, if you've ever had to study in a second language, you would know what I'm talking about. And, and these kids, uh, they speak Jita, but they'd never seen it written before. Um, but because we'd done a lot of work on developing the, the writing system and making it similar to Swahili so that they could pick it up, they were actually able to pick it up and start reading almost straight away. And so that was exciting. Um, Kelly was handing out scripture to people that had never had it before in their language on that day. Uh, next one. This was another celebration event um, in the Sambiti language group. You can see some cultural... They, they kind of dress up for this and really get into it, but the cultural dance team um, and everyone's gathered around and uh, it's really fun. Next one. Uh, inside one of the churches there, 
Uh, often they're packed out. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're just a room, but this is a fairly large one. Next one. Uh, in the Ikoma language area, we also published um, the book of Luke, and so we celebrated with them. And the next one. Um, sometimes we, sometimes this is what a church looks like in Tanzania. Um, they've probably wanted to start building something, but ran out of funds and so this is where they're at for for a few years until they can save up a bit more but just a covering and and we would go out and gather people from the communities to do language research work Um, i'm i'm the translation advisor for the choir language but i also work with some of the other languages and we have to do a lot of research for the language and help them develop writing systems and do the linguistics and and the grammar and everything all the stuff that gunner loved in seminary Um, and so, so sometimes we meet in places like this, sometimes like in the next slide, um, just under a tree somewhere. Does anyone know what kind of tree that is? How's your tropical tree knowledge? No? Just curious. It's a mango tree. Yep, so we meet out in places like that. The next one, that's, that's another small church building. Um, and the next one is, this is like a kind of a cafe hotel, restaurant, and these guys are working on the script of the Jesus film, and that's another thing <clears throat> That's another thing that we do there is uh, we translate the Jesus film, and that's been a really good uh, ministry opportunity in Tanzania because people get to see the life of Jesus uh, in, in their language and see it all play out on the screen. And so uh, the next picture shows uh, when we went out to the Kabwa language area and we set up in their community a screen and a projector and we just started playing the music um, and because people aren't living in their houses they're living they're, they're doing things outside the house they can all hear the music and a crowd comes together and everyone's what's going on and then we had a big crowd of about a thousand people um, that got to see the story of Jesus in a language that made sense to them and they could understand it and uh, the next picture shows um, how it was a, a beautiful night that God gave us and we all gathered around the, the stars out. Um, we had a, a uh, like an altar call, a, a gospel presentation in the next one um, and just had a great response from people. They they really wanted to, to know more about it and um, and the one of the the American ladies from the Jesus Film organization came out and she she shared some of the stories that they have, the, the testimonies of showing the Jesus film in different communities around the world because it's been translated into hundreds of languages by now. And um, she said that in, in one place, uh, that there's a scene in the movie where Jesus heals a blind man. And uh, as that happened, the blind man in the audience received his sight and uh, was excited about that. There's, an, there's another scene, I think, where a, a man who couldn't walk was able to walk. And there was a guy that hadn't come to the movie because he couldn't walk. He was down the street and he could hear it. And as that happened, he was able to stand up and run to the movie and say, I can walk. Um, so exciting things like that can happen. Um, there was another guy in, in the Middle East, they, they showed it somewhere. Um, or it might have been Northern Africa. Um, but a guy went along to the show and he heard about it and he went uh, with a suicide vest on because he was going to blow up the audience. And his vest didn't work, and he tried it four or five times, and it didn't work. 
Um, so he just sat there and listened and watched. And at the end of it, he believed. Um, he ran up the front and you know, excitedly told everyone, like, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. And by the way, um, can you help me out of this, <laughs> this, this vest? Um, so that can be awkward. But um, <laughs> now, according to them, now this guy goes around showing the Jesus film at different places and telling people what Jesus has done for him. So, it, yeah, it's a, it's a powerful thing. Um, the next picture, this is the, the following night. We went to another community. And the next picture, uh, a similar kind of response from, from that group. This was in the Zanaki language community. Um, and the, the Zanaki claim to fame is that the first president of Tanzania, Julius Nyerere, is from this tribe. So they, they think they're really special. <laughs> the next one. So not, not everything that we do in Tanzania is uh, in the, under the trees and in the, in the dirt and everything. Uh, this is our office where we do most of our work, nine to five throughout the week. Um, and here we're doing some training uh, I think some exegetical training of translators. Uh, because we employ uh, two translators from each language area, um, our, our, our team services about a million and a half people that speak 10 or 12 different languages. And, and we work with eight of those languages all at once, all together. So two of these people would speak one language to another. And those languages, are, some of them are related uh, and some of them... All of them are related. Some of them can understand each other, Spanish and Portuguese kind of similarity. Some of them more like English and German. They're related, but have no idea what they're saying. Um, but we can help each other and um, train each other. And the next one, um, we do capacity building. So we're training our translators to take on the advisory roles that we do. Uh, these four guys are, have been training in a study program and now they're graduating from that. And in the next picture, it shows part of the graduation service. Um, the next one shows three, those three guys. Yep, that's right. Uh, training other translators. So now they've received training in exegesis and grammar and um, translation principles and linguistics. And now they're training other people as well. And that's um, these three guys are actually very close to becoming translation advisors. Um, and we've never had national translation advisors in, I think, uh, in our part of Tanzania uh, because it, it requires quite a bit of education. Uh, so you, you need a bachelor's, you need to study linguistics and translation, and they're getting close to being able to take on that role, so that's exciting. Uh, the next one, yeah, although now, um, because a lot of outside training needs to be in English, uh, we try to use English more with with the um, th those three guys, but they're doing all their training in Swahili with others. Um, so most people, almost everyone in our town speaks Swahili and no English or very, um, give me money. That's about <laughs> the extent of their English. Um, so we have to do everything in Swahili, uh, all our training, but we try to teach English as much as possible um, because... Uh, that's the only way that they'll be able to connect with the outside world of education, academics, um, that kind of thing. So probably in this room, hardly anyone would speak English. This is out in a, a village area in a school classroom, 
And this young lady, we've trained her to, to teach reading and writing to uh, people who speak her mother tongue. And so now she's doing that. She can teach these 20 or so uh, men how to read and write their own language. That's exciting. Um, the next one, uh, this was just speaking in a, in a church, a typical church in Tanzania. And the next one, Swahili. Um, yeah, that, so that church was in a, in a choir language area. And so most people would understand Swahili, but choir would be their, their real language, the one that they love. And um, unfortunately, I can't speak that to be able to preach in it. I can read and understand a lot of it. But um, yeah, I'd have to use Swahili. This is another church in a different area. Um, and the next slide... Uh, this was on a motorbike trip, handing out some, um, some materials in uh, this language area, and they just love anything that's in their language. They love their language. The next one. This is what I do most of the time, um, which is sitting in front of a computer, staring at screens, and my screens are filled with different windows. With uh, Sometimes I'll be looking at choir. Uh, if I'm going through, say, First Peter, I'll be looking at... Um, Choir and English and Swahili and Greek and um, maybe a, a couple other languages that we work in, Jita and Zanaki, just to compare them. And it's very, it's like juggling. And yeah, um, it can be very tiring. There's, there's some language work on the board back there. Um, trying to figure out, is it two vowels? Is it one vowel? Is it a pre-nasalized? Um, consonant or is it a bilabial this or that or whatever um, but yeah it's um, we we do a lot of office work together and working with people at desks like this and then and then travel out to the community to do testing and um, or the celebrations and that kind of thing all right the next one um, so I wanted to mention I mentioned before that um, People are out on the streets a lot in Tanzania, and uh, they're not, you know, tucked away inside their houses. They're out doing things in the community. So whenever something happens in the community, instantly there's a crowd because everyone's outside anyway, and they, you know, hear a, an accident happen or something on a loudspeaker, or you know, maybe there's an argument going on here, and so a crowd quickly forms. Um, and living in Tanzania has really helped me understand. Uh, the Bible. Um, you know, I went to seminary for four years and took all those cultural classes and everything, but I always found it really confusing when it said, you know, Jesus stepped into a boat and was preaching to a crowd of people. And I'm just thinking, where are these, where are these crowds of people? I grew up in Australia and you walk down the, like the suburbs and there are no crowds of people. Um, or a mob formed and they tried to stone Paul. Um, where are these mobs that form and how do these things happen but living in tanzania i can actually see some of these things happening in our town um if if they catch a thief in town uh and if the police don't get there in time they they could beat the person to death or stone the person to death um and these are people who today are carrying cell phones um and you know maybe riding motorbikes but you know stop and beat someone to death because that's what everyone's doing um, it's, it's just this mob justice. You can't rely on the government justice because it's corrupt. They all take bribes. 
Um, someone could steal everything from my house and then pay the police and get away with it. So if you want justice, do it yourself. And we were told when we first came to Tanzania uh, that if we ever got in a car accident, if we, uh, especially if we hit someone, like hit a bicycle or hit someone on the road, don't stop, keep going, get out of there as quickly as possible and um, to a safe place, maybe to the police station if you can, uh, because if you stay there, then a crowd will form and out of anger and frustration, they'll take, they usually take it out on the biggest vehicle um, because that's the one that's done the damage. Uh, we think of fault, who's at fault, but they just think it's a, it's a car and it's hurt someone. So um, they would get angry. And last year, uh, a missionary lady, a friend of ours, was driving down this street and she was going slowly and she saw a motorbike coming to her that had two people on it and they were coming fast and they lost control. And as they lost control, she was, she was going slow enough that she had stopped her car by then and, and watched them come off the motorbike and the passenger slid um, partway under the wheels of her car. Uh, so she obviously couldn't move anywhere. Um, but when the crowd started gathering around, it looked like she had just run this guy over in her big land cruiser you know she'd hit him and run him over and so the crowd formed and they came up knocking on the window hey you um get out and uh fortunately some of us were close by and the the driver of the motorbike wasn't seriously hurt and he was able to say no no it was my fault she had nothing to do with it um unfortunately the passenger died he he knocked his head on the ground and bled out and we were about a mile from the hospital but um wasn't wearing a helmet, and it just happens. So uh, things can escalate quickly. And this picture I took outside of our office, our offices, you know, back down this driveway here, and that's the main road. Um, a guy on a motorbike that you can see in there, and you can actually see him sitting down there, had been clipped by a car, and the car had took off, um, had taken off. Sorry for my poor grammar there. Um, and... Uh, left him on the ground. He'd hit his head on the ground and uh, a crowd gathered around and there wasn't really anyone to get angry at so it was quite safe. And we came out and gave the guy a ride to the hospital, um, helped him to get attention, which can be very difficult. Uh, the hospitals there are very different. But a couple of weeks later, I actually walked out to the, the main road to flag down a motorbike taxi. They have a lot of motorbike taxis riding around and I needed a ride somewhere and so the guy that stopped um, came up to him and we looked at each other and I said hey are you the are you the guy from the accident and he said yeah are you are you Michael I was like yeah and he said he'd been looking for me and wanted to say thank you and gave me a free ride um, back home so that was that was really cool to meet up with him again um, but that's just something to always be praying about um, for us is safety on the roads. We drive cars and motorbikes as well. I drive a motorbike. And although it's a very safe um, part of Africa, things can escalate. Yeah, so the next picture is another thing to pray about. Uh, and this is a bit more exciting. Um, these kids are getting to learn in their language. Um, they're Jita children in the Jita area. And um, they're in what would you call it, preschool, is that right? Um, preschool, in Australia it would be kindergarten. Um, and the government is has seen the benefit of educating kids in their first language. 
And so uh, they're interested in partnering with us to help start up some of these little preschool um, schools where the kids will learn in that language. And so if you remember, pray for them. Pray that we could partner with them. It's great if the government gets on board because then we don't have to fund it and make it happen. We can just consult and um, give them advice on how to do education. Um, And kids who can learn in their first language how to read and write can easily transition to a second language. And part of the problem with Bible translation in Tanzania is people don't like to read. So we're going and doing, you know, giving 20, 30 years of service for a product that no one is going to use. And we're not too happy about that. So um, we have to think of other ways like audio recordings. Uh, That's been really successful. And back in the day, you used to put audio recordings on those solar-powered things or the wind-up tape recorder. Um, These days, a lot of people have cell phones. And so thank God that we can just Bluetooth copy something to someone or they can download it from a website. And that's, that's been a great way to get scriptures into people's hands. But we really want people to be able to, to read them as well and study and develop some depth in their relationship with God by reading and understanding the scripture. Uh, the next picture, uh, this was taken in Christmas 2012, 13. 13, I think, or maybe 12. Um, and it's just a reminder of um, another time in life that God brought us through. Uh, we came to Valley Baptist in 2011. Does anyone remember? Yeah, well, we were on furlough in 2011, so we came out four years ago. Um, and at the time, we were uh, quite sick, but we didn't know it. And so this was when we were going through treatment for that, which um, yeah, I'll mention a little more about that in a sec. Uh, the next slide, this is m- more things to pray about when you think of us, um, that I would not have these ideas to climb up on small ledges uh, without a ladder or something. I was, I was trying to f- hook up this tank, this red, uh, it's, it's like a solar hot water system that I rigged up, and I was sit- standing out on that little ledge and, uh, and started to tip. And normally you think the tank would be something good to hold on to, but the tank was empty, and so it tipped with me. And I went over the side and landed on this concrete block here, back first. So I landed on my back. Um, go to the next one. It shows the what was left of that. Um, somehow I didn't break it, but uh, and and the barrel, the drum was um, connected to a wire. So that actually, I remember going down and like thinking, um, I remember first thinking, I'm really going over, like it's really happening, and then thinking, the barrel's going to land on me, but it didn't because it was connected to a wire, and then hitting the ground and and thinking, how come I didn't bounce? I don't know why, but um, I thought that I would bounce a bit or maybe like bounce and roll or something, but I just went, boom, like a sack of flour, and uh, and then I was like, oh, that really hurt. And thinking, I'm in trouble. Um, and I kind of rolled over onto my knees and um, Kelly came out because she'd heard the big noise and it sounded like someone had died. Um, and I was like just on my hands and knees struggling to breathe. And she said, and I said, um, pray for me. And we were praying together and uh, she told me later that my, my spine was 
bubbling up and turning blue and white and pussy. And, um, but this is what it looked like about 10 minutes later. And um, I was able to, to get up and go inside and lie down. And I was very sore for a few days. But it never got worse. It just gradually got better and better and better. And so we were very thankful to God um, for sustaining me through that. And um, I won't be doing things like that anymore. Um, what was that, Luke? <laughs> no, you won't. Um, yeah, like an hour after it happened, um, Luke came in and was like, can we go play, I think it was cricket now. I'm like, uh, probably not tonight. I'm lucky to be walking. Um, so, yeah. And the next slide, uh, that's the last one. That's from our back, um, just behind our fence. And it's a reminder that God loves Tanzania and his Holy Spirit is at work in Tanzania, and we're happy to be a part of it. Um, so I wanted to, to share a little bit more about uh, what we went through with the sickness, uh, because we contracted a, a disease, um, we think probably in 2008, maybe 2009, we're not even sure. It's called brucellosis. And uh, you get it from... Uh, from either unpasteurized milk or meat. Um, and it just makes you like really tired all the time, kind of arthritis symptoms and back pain and just all these, like, I'm getting old and, and this is the end. And I remember turning 30. Um, so I'm 36 now. I remember turning 30 and thinking, oh, like, this must be the end. Like, 30 is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I've, I've heard that, you know, 40, 50, but it must be 30 where it all happens. Um, but apparently we were, we were sick. And, um, and so when we went back to Tanzania in 2011, we had some routine tests done and found out that we had this disease. And we're like, oh, well, that could explain a few things. Um, so we started, we started doing treatment. And treatment is a really strong course of antibiotics for six weeks. And, um, and we... So we went through that, and at the end of it, we went and got tested again, and the test came back still positive for both of us. Kelly and I both had this. And um, so that was difficult, but we thought, well, we'll have, to, we'll have to do the treatment again to get rid of it. And so we did a stronger course of antibiotics, and um, we did the course, and it makes you really tired and can't go into work for a few weeks. And um, two of us and our crazy three kids. Um, but... We finished that, and um, at that time, Kelly was having some immigration issues with her Australian uh, residency immigration. So we thought, well, maybe it'll be a good time just to go back to Australia and just deal with this there and get our immigration done. Um, let's, let's put out a fleece, basically, is what we decided. We prayed about it, and um, we, we said, God, if, if we're clear from this now then we'll stay but if we're still positive then we're going home and uh, I, w I drove to Nairobi about nine hours and um, had our tests done and uh, we got our results back and they were negative so we were like just excited that we were all clear from this disease finally and we could move on in life and God had you know shown us where to be and what to do and um about six or eight weeks after that, we were in Nairobi again and decided to get tested again. 
and um, and my test came back positive. Kelly was still negative, and mine was positive, and it was a big blow because you think you finally kicked this thing, and um, and it's still there. And so it was, it was kind of hard to take, but we both decided that we had asked God for direction, and we claimed that He gave us direction, and He called us to do something, and that was to stay in Tanzania. So we decided that we weren't going to back down from that and change, but we would stay there and continue. Um, and so I, I went through treatment again, another six weeks of um, even stronger uh, antibiotics and injections and stuff. Uh, and at the end of that, I went and tested again, and I still had it. So I went through another treatment again, and uh, at the end, tested a while later, tested for that, and it was still there. Um, but in the end, we just said, look, God is going to sustain us, and um, we are where we're supposed to be, and we're not backing down from that. And um, in some ways, it's it's a little bit like uh, where Peter, um, Peter walked on water, and he could have walked a lot longer on water, but he all of a sudden saw the wind and the waves, and he focused on that, and because of fear, he sank. Um, he didn't have to sink. I don't think he had to, um, but he did. And I think there are times in our lives where uh, if God has communicated something to us, we should continue to do that, because if we focus on the wind and the waves, we can sink. Um, and I wanted to, to read that little section in, um, in Judges 6, if, if you want to turn there. Um, about Gideon, because um, when I was growing up, uh, you'd hear that comment like, put out a fleece, um, and some people would say, well, you shouldn't test God, or Gideon, he just didn't have enough faith, he, he sh- shouldn't, shouldn't have had to do that, and I've come to believe that um, Gideon did a good thing, and um, I think sometimes we think that in the Old Testament, uh, every time God spoke, it was very easy to hear and understand, uh, that he would always just like appear in all glory and say, like, thus saith I, like, go do this. And um, I just don't think it was like that. I've, Kelly and I have, have heard God speak to us in our lives, and it's, it's often not more than just a thought inside your head that's, that's kind of foreign, but comforting and familiar and for us, it could be, um, you know, there was a time we had a snake in our house and Kelly heard God say, no one will be hurt by this snake. So um, she did what anyone would do and she took a mop and jumped off the couch and attacked the snake. Um, we've had other times in life where uh, I had a, a friend that I work with, uh, a Tanzanian guy, uh, looking after some stuff for me and um, he stole something from me. And uh, it took me a while to figure it out, to piece everything together. But I finally confronted him, and he denied it. He said, well, maybe, maybe a friend of mine took it. Um, it's possible. And he went off you know, on this story about a friend took it. And eventually, uh, he managed to get it back for me and say, yeah, yeah, my friend took it. And so I wanted to confront him about it. And I talked to him, and he said, no, no, I didn't take it. My friend did. But I'm just like, I'm really sorry I should have been looking after it better. 
And, um, and I said, okay, well, I forgive you. Um, I guess that's it. And I tried to do the culturally appropriate thing by taking along like a, um, a mediator with me, like a, a third party, and just do the right thing. But I, I left that meeting with him angry and still upset. And I was saying to God, why am I still angry? Like, I've forgiven him and it didn't work. Like, forgiveness is supposed to be different. And God said to me, um, because you haven't forgiven him for what he really did. You've forgiven this made-up story. Um, you have to forgive the real thing. And, uh, and I said, well, what am I supposed to do? And God said, give him the thing like that he stole. And I was like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Like, I wouldn't have thought of that, but God did. And it was the right thing. And, but it wasn't like God in all his light and glory um, speaking to me. It was just that voice that I know. And so I went and I confronted the guy and I said, look, I know you're lying to me. I know you took it. Um, but I, God told me to give this to you. And I even engraved his name on it and um, said, I forgive you. And that was it. And when I left from there, like, then I felt that release that real forgiveness has. Um, and I just let it go. And that was, that was great. Um, and that's, that's the voice of God. It's, it's powerful and it can lead us through those situations when we listen. Um, but sometimes it's not very clear. And sometimes you're like, was that my idea or was that God's idea? And what do you do in that situation? And I think that, that maybe Gideon went through something like that. Um, and that's why in Judges 6.36, um, Gideon says to God, whatever that means, I mean, was this God in a room with him? Or just he prayed and said, uh, if you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, as God had told him, um, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the, on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me. Please don't be mad with me, uh, that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece and let there be dew on all the ground. God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece and dew was on the ground. Then chapter 7 um, Gideon takes 22,000 people um, and God whittles that army down to, we know the story, down to 300 people. And with 300 people, Gideon takes on an army that couldn't be counted. So probably a few hundred thousand people. It's that the camels were just like sand on the seashore um, and the men were just littered across this valley. Um, Gideon put out a fleece not to test God, but to clarify, I think, that he was hearing right and this is what God wanted him to do. And once he got that confirmation from God, Gideon didn't look back. He said, okay, I'll do it. Even if it means taking on a couple hundred thousand people with 300 men, it's ridiculous. Um, And he had very little to go on except a wet fleece and then a dry fleece. Um, but he did it. He acted in faith. 
And I think uh, God loves that. And um, the same thing for us when we when we said to God, you know, if you want us to stay, let our results be negative. And they were. And and we think that God communicated something to us. And because we stayed in Tanzania, there were some things that happened in our lives, um, some very significant things that happened um, that we would have missed if we had gone home. And we're just so thankful that, uh, that God communicated to us clearly like that and that we were able to follow that and um, follow through on that. And I think that's a lesson for all of us. Um, it's not wrong to clarify things with God like Gideon did. I think what's wrong is uh, is to have clarification and to still go, yeah, I'm like I, I still don't know that you're, you've got my back, God. Um, and sometimes Moses did that. Uh, Moses did some great things, but he also did some not so great things. And, and God said, go and speak to Pharaoh. And Moses said, well, and God said, um, I will be with you. Yeah, that's great. You know, it wasn't very confident. Look, here's a stick that turns into a snake and here's this and that. And in the end, Moses was like, I just don't, I really don't want to do this. And so God even gave him his brother, Aaron, to go speak with him. Um, I think that was a major failure on Moses' part. I think he probably missed out on some, some things in his life because he didn't trust God. I mean, if, if God says, I will be with you, then you can stand in front of Pharaoh. And that's, that's you know, it should be a piece, a piece of cake, kind of. Um, but then he did some other great things by, by trusting God, by listening to him and doing what he said. Um, but then you also wind up with a really good example in, um, with the, the Israelites in the desert. Uh, and so this is probably a, a good time to go get Malia. Um, we kind of worked this into, into this message in the first service. Um, the Israelites wandered around the desert for 40 years. And um, uh, they, they actually could have gone into the land of Canaan and taken the land and lived there and enjoyed it because God said, go in and take the land and I'll be with you and I'll hand them over to you. And they said, no. Basically, they said, we don't believe you. Um, because if they believed that God was with them and would hand them over, they could go confidently. But they said, no, there's giants in the land. Have you seen the giants? Um, we're not going to do it. So they wandered in the desert for 40 years and died. Uh, they missed out on a really cool thing because they didn't listen to what God had said and act on it in faith. Um, and there's a whole chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, um, that's all about these heroes of the faith. And Gideon's actually listed in there um and uh yeah so last year um this is malia um last year i really got turned on to reading scripture and and started doing that a lot in my personal life um i would just spend hours every day literally hours on my lunch break and after work um reading and reading and um i wanted to start memorizing oh getting the whole team are you going to sing with us? No. Um, and uh, I wanted to start memorizing scripture, but if I just try to memorize scripture, I always forget it. So I had a had a crack at putting some uh, the first chapter of Hebrews to music, and like it it seemed to work. And so I decided to keep going. And over the next seven or eight months, I managed to put 
uh, the book of Hebrews to music and memorize it. And um, I would sing it to the kids at bedtime. And this little girl just manages to pick up on stuff. And um, she can sing all the words of probably four or five chapters. Um, so she wanted she wanted to sing this morning. She asked me in the service, can I sing? Can you sing? Sure. Um, and Hebrews chapter 3 is a, is a good chapter that talks about uh, how the Israelites missed out. They wandered in the desert. They, they died. Um, and at the end of it, it says they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So um, I think it's really important for us who claim to live by faith and not by sight to understand what that actually means. Um, we're told to walk by the Spirit, not by flesh. And the flesh says, uh, you have brucellosis, or you have this problem, or you don't have finances, or there are giants in the land, things like that. But if the Spirit says, I will hand them over to you, or I'll be with you, or um, I'll provide for you in this situation, uh, then we walk by the Spirit and the things that we can't see. Um, if if you look at your body and and you think I'm alive and doing all this kind of thing, um, and this is this material world, this is all there is, then you're living by flesh, and uh, reaping the flesh means eventually dying. Spirit says you died with Christ, and you were raised with Him, and you are seated in the heavenly realms next to Christ. Uh, that's not something that we can see but it's something that we can believe and we can act like it's true uh, because we know who said it. And so um, let's, let's sing a song and then we'll be done here. Yeah? Chapter 3? <clears throat> chapter 7 this time. I don't think they want to hear chapter 7. It's about Melchizedek and it's a, a long one. Yeah, that's on. Yeah, so try to sing it. My voice is a little croaky right now and it's a lot of words to tumble out all at once. That's the clean one? Oh, okay. But um, Malia knows all the words so she can sing it all. Go. Therefore, holy brothers... Who share in the heavenly calling Fix your thoughts on Jesus The apostle and high priest of our confession He was faithful to the one who appointed him Just as Moses was faithful in all his house Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of all things. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. Christ is faithful as a son of 
over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to the confidence and the boast of the hope to the end. So as the Holy Spirit says, As in the rebellion, in the day of testing, in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they did not know my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has an evil heart of unbelief that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have become partners with Christ if we hold firmly to the end. The confidence we had at first, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, as in the rebellion, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was God provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? If not to those who were obstinate, so we see that they were able to enter.